All right, let's take our Bibles and go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. How many of you this morning are saved and you're glad you're saved? Say amen. 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 All right, praise the Lord. That's part of what coming to church is about. You know, sometimes I'm afraid during the week with all the pressures and all the things we have to do and all the environment, uh, we just kind of get, you know, things about God kind of get pushed down a little bit. Hopefully not in our private lives, but publicly. And we just come to church and, hey, uh, we're open Christians, right? And then we, and then we leave this place and, and, and carry it with us as we go out into the world. It's, it's to uh, pick us up. You know, everybody talks about the weekend. You realize this is the first day of the week. And that's, that's what the Lord's Day is all about. We start the week. We start the week. You see, the Sabbath came at the end of the week. And it was rest for the weary. But the first day of the week, it's, it's resurrection, it's coming awake, it's coming to life, and it's getting the week started on the right foot. So praise the Lord, we're all here today. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we're looking at Bible mysteries, and this morning we're going to look at the mystery of the deity of Jesus Christ. I have a message I preach that's called the most important subject in the Bible. And it is on the subject of the deity of Jesus Christ because there is no more important subject in the Bible. Folks, if Jesus Christ is not God, then our salvation isn't worth the paper it's written on. It's worthless. But Jesus Christ is God, and God manifest in the flesh died for your sins and atoned for your sins. And for that, we are saved this morning by faith in that work that he did for us. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, and without controversy, and without controversy, um, Paul, Paul is saying, it, it, this is obvious, okay? And, and I'm going somewhere with this. It, it's an obvious thing. It, there's no controversy to what I'm about to say, that great is the mystery of godliness. So let me say to start with, if you have trouble understanding the deity of Christ, you're in a lot of good company. Okay, it's a mystery. And that's without controversy. That's without controversy. Nobody could argue, oh, it's easy to understand how God became man. No, it's not. No, it's not. Uh, it, it's easy to understand how, how this took place and, and how he became a man in the polluted stream of humanity. Of course, God circumvented the polluted stream of humanity through the virgin birth. But that's not easy to understand either. So let me say right off the bat, if you can't comprehend God, then praise the Lord, you got a God bigger than your comprehension. And I'm comfortable with that. I'll tell you what, if I could figure God out, like some famous person once said, that God was as we are, I'd, I'd be afraid of that. I would say that God's no bigger than my brain. So, so to start with, Paul says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. God was made known in the flesh. Now, wouldn't you know it, the new Bibles change that. You say, which ones? Take your pick. The most direct Verse on the deity of Jesus Christ, God was manifest in the flesh. 
they changed it. There's variations, but most of them, most of them changed it to he was manifest in the flesh. My Greek is a little bit rusty, but he and God are two different words, okay? I don't know what the word for he is, but the word for God is theos, and that's not the word for he. So where did that come from? That comes from somebody that doesn't like the deity of Jesus Christ, either in the flesh or by spirit, but that was changed in the new Bibles. God was manifest in the flesh. Couldn't be more plain. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. And tonight we're going to have the Lord's Supper in anticipation of the missions conference and not only was he received up into glory, but Jesus said, when you do this, you do this in remembrance of me, and you do it until I come and, and eat and drink with you in the kingdom. It's anticipation of Christ coming back. And he is coming back, folks. The deity of Jesus Christ. Take your Bibles and go to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. One of the clearest doctrines in the word of God, the deity of Jesus Christ, Paul says, great is this mystery, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8, speaking of God the Father, but unto the Son he saith, God the Father says to the Son, thy throne, now watch how he addresses the Son, this is God the Father addressing the Son. Thy throne, O God. O God. The Father calls the Son God. You say, well, the Jehovah Witnesses don't believe it. And this group and that group don't believe it. Yeah, but God the Father says that Jesus is God. Thy throne, oh, and by the way, the new Bibles change this one which we might have guessed at this point. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. As we learned a couple weeks ago, you, you, get to the, you get to the fifth chapter of Revelation, all, almost to the end of the book, certainly by chapter 18, and what's God doing? God is kicking all the squatters out because... It's Christ's. This earth is Christ's. And so we see his de deity clearly stated for us, and then it talks about his reign. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Folks, 15 minutes listening to the news, and I'm ready for Jesus to come back. Amen? All mankind can do is continue to muddle the muddle. But not the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Take your Bibles and go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. We're looking at the mystery of godliness, the deity of Jesus Christ. John chapter 1. And John chapter 1, verse 18. No man hath seen God at any time. Oh, by the way, 
Would you guess that maybe this one's been changed? <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, in fact, it was changed in such a way that it outright denies the deity of Jesus Christ. Well, we don't have time to go into all of those details. Verse 18, no man hath seen God at any time. The reason for that, the Bible says God is a spirit. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Jesus is omnipresent here. He is on earth talking to these people, and yet he is in the bosom of the Father. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. So how does, how does God take on the body of a man without taking on the sin nature of man? How does God become one of us without participating in the sin nature of us? Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, the Bible says, and Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Notice it doesn't say his father and his mother. Mary certainly was his mother, but Jesus was born of a virgin. Oh, by the way, would you guess? <laughs> the new Bible's changed this one. Do, do you think the devil is attacking the deity of Christ? And what better way to do it than go right to the source, right to the foundation, right to the authority, right to the rule and, and, and line and, and every jot and tittle of the foundation of what we believed. He goes after it right there at that level and changes it to his father and his mother marveled at those things. Now, folks, it's one thing if someone out there in the public says, oh yeah, Joseph is his father, someone that didn't get it. But for the narrative by the Holy Spirit to say that, it's, that Joseph is his father, that's a denial of the virgin birth. You say, what should I do if I got one of these other Bibles? Get rid of it. Get a King James Bible. The deity of Jesus Christ, I, I, I don't understand it, but I, I believe it. And I'm not uncomfortable that I cannot understand it because it tells me that God is greater than my understanding. There are some things in nature that point to it. One times one times one equals one. The sun is not unlike that in the, that the sun is one, but it has three different kinds of rays, heat rays. We found out about that this summer, didn't we? Heat rays. You know, the uh, climate alarmists will always, you know, there's a hurricane or there's a, a hot summer, and all of a sudden, that's, that's global warming. Now, if we have a cold winter, it won't be global cooling. Heat rays, light rays, and actinic rays, your radiation. But all one sun, water, is a picture and uh, much of God's universe is a tri-universe. It works in threes. But water is a picture of the Trinity in that water is always H2O. But at the very time, same time on a frozen lake, you could have the solid ice and under it the liquid, but above it the vapor. 
And all three are H2O. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ. The miracle. The miracle how God skipped man's seed. How the creator became a baby. The creator of the universe became a baby. And we don't see much in scripture between that time and the, the, the age of 12 years old. But God took on limitations, according to Philippians chapter 2. He took upon himself the form of a servant. And he laid aside some of the privileges of deity. And, and I believe as he grow, grew up, and, and he's, as he was a baby and a toddler and a little child, he was subject to, this, to this, some, many of the same things. We are only without a sin nature. He had to learn to walk. He, he grew up, and uh, the Bible says that in, in, when it talks about him at 12 years old that he grows in stature, and, and, and he grows in wisdom and understanding. And so as much as he had, he still limited himself in some areas. And I'll be honest with you, I, I, I don't understand that. I can't comprehend that. I wonder as he was younger, by the time he was 12, he certainly knew who he was and what he was doing. For when his parents came back and chided him for, for, for their grief of thinking they had lost him. Do you ever think you lost one of your kids? I had one of the biggest scares of my life. Was it a couple years ago? Carol, I think it was a couple years ago. Um, when I want to eat, when I want to overeat, I go to chuck Okay? That's my default place to go when I want to overeat. And so we had the grandkids, three of them, Zach and Tyler and Ella, Dad and Mom were out for the evening. I think they were staying overnight. I'm not sure, but we had them, and we went out, and we went to Chuckarama. Big treat. And if you've ever been to Chuckarama, they've got several big rooms, and all three of these rooms have corner booths that look very similar to the one in the other room. So we all went to the buffet, and we were sitting there in our corner booth, and one of my grandsons wandered over to the buffet again, and we said, go ahead, and he wanted to go get something, whatever, and well, he got confused, ended up in the wrong room at a corner booth that looked just like our booth, and proceeded to eat. <laughs> he was fine, he had his food, <laughs> he had his booth, Never mind, there was nobody else he came with around, <laughs> but he was happy. Well, after a little while, I said to my wife, I said, uh, where's Tyler? And she said, I don't know, he went up to get something. I said, I, I, let me go check. So I went up and checked. Um, salad? No, he's not going for salad. And <laughs> dessert? He's not even there. And more chicken? No. And I'm like, oh, he went to the bathroom. So I go over to the bathroom. I'm looking around, the stalls. I'm like, he, he's not there. So I'm starting to wonder a little bit. So I run back in. He hasn't showed up at the 
table yet. So now I'm starting to get going, you know. And pretty soon I decided that he was gone. So I ran out into the parking lot. And I was going to run down any vehicle that was leaving. I was going to jump on it and grab it or whatever I was going to do. So I came running back in because I couldn't find him out in the parking lot. And my wife said, well, let's look in some of the other rooms. And sure enough, there he was in the corner. And you ever get in one of those situations where you want to hug him and kill him <laughs> at the same time, right? You're so happy that you found him. But you're like, oh. And you know what? That's how Mary and Joseph were. They thought they had lost Jesus. But remember what Jesus said to him, know ye not that I must be about my father's business. So he had a full understanding at that point. But, but you wonder about it as he was a baby and coming up to that point. And so he became a man. And Paul said we're to be, we're to be stewards of these mysteries. Let's take our Bibles and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And you think of him on the cross, and there's been all kinds of things written and discussed about, you know, what, which part of him paid for our sins. And the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, he through the eternal spirit made that payment. I, I, I can't understand that, but all of our sins were laid on him on the cross, and that, that was God and man on that cross that bore our sins that day. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Now notice, notice our salvation here, a new creature in Christ, verse 17. The ministry of reconciliation, verse 19, and then look at, or 18, and then look at verse 19. To it, that is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Can you think of a more positive message than that? I can't think of anything more positive than that. Look at how it's written. To it, that is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. Now watch this. Not imputing their trespasses unto them. Hey, by the way, when you're witnessing, it's not your job to convince somebody they're a sinner. Bible tells us in the book of John, chapter 16, it's the Holy Spirit's job. Now you can show them the verses, but if they don't get it, you can't take and bounce their head off the Bible and make them get it. <laughs> I remember when I first got saved, I used to try that sort of thing. Not bounce their head, but make them understand. Look, if they won't get it, they don't get it. Someone must understand their need. And so the Bible says when Christ's on the cross, he's not imputing their trespasses unto them. He's paying for them. And the Bible says, and hath committed unto us the word of what? Reconciliation. We got the most positive message in the world. Verse 20. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead be you reconciled to God. 
For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, imputed righteousness. Do you see from verses 17 through 21 how the deity of Christ and our salvation and the fact that we're ambassadors for him are all woven together in the same in the same portion of scripture. Take your Bibles and go to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Great is the mystery of godliness. God, God was manifest in the flesh. Isaiah chapter 9. A great prophetic verse about the Lord Jesus Christ, one that's often quoted around scripture or around Christmas time. Uh, verse 6: For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That's my Savior this morning. My Savior is God manifest in the flesh. My Savior is deity. My Savior is God Almighty. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And get John chapter 8 in one hand, and then go ahead and turn to Exodus 3 in the other hand. John chapter 8, we'll go there first. And John chapter 8, and verse 56, Jesus, speaking to his Jewish detractors here, he says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, verse 57, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. I showed that to a Jehovah Witness one time, and he said, oh, he wasn't talking about himself being God. I, well, look at verse 59, the Jews understood what he was saying. Then took they up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. By the way, going through the midst of them, going through the midst of them, they were angry enough to kill him. I don't think he turned around and said, move. And they all moved. I think he just turned around and walked right through the midst of them. As in, he exercised some of his deity right there. Now, Jesus said, he described himself as I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Go to Exodus chapter 3. And this is why the Jews got it right away. They understood exactly what he was saying. Many of the liberals will say, well, you know, Jesus never claimed to be anything more than a moral teacher or a martyr or, 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 or a, a, philosopher, a religious philosopher. No, Jesus claimed to be God. That was his claim. That wasn't something that a Bible-believing Baptist assigned to him. Those are not words that we have put in his mouth. This is what he said about himself. Uh, before Abraham was, I am. And then notice, notice what he is referencing here. And the Jews got it completely. Chapter 3 of the book of Exodus, starting in verse 13. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 13. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, 
I am hath sent me unto you. I, I, I was listening to someone one time in an interview, and he was talking about what, what a, uh, one of the signs that someone is a diva. And uh, they said, well, if they have a, you know, a, a, a name where they just use one word, like, like, like share or something like this. Uh, folks, this goes way beyond diva. I am. <laughs> Jesus, is, Jesus is saying, God is saying, I am, in, I am existence itself. Do you realize there's no existence for anything or anyone, time, space, animal, vegetable, or mineral without him? I am. I am. What a profound thought. I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said, moreover, verse 15, unto Moses, thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. And in John chapter 8, Jesus said, oh, you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, again, how can the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be three separate persons, yet be one, and all of them are God, and there is only one God? And when you stop and think about it, from, your, from Genesis to Revelation, but especially in the Old Testament, as the Jews strayed into, into um, idolatry, that, that's one of the strongest things that, that God hated was that idolatry taking away his glory because he is the one God yet they're three persons. And we don't understand it, and I don't this morning. But I'm glad for it. I'm glad that that God became a man and died for my sins. Now let's take our Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I want to look at another mystery here that ties into this mystery. And this is the mystery of the rapture of the church, our resurrection. But before I do that, I want to, I want to just give you a, a, a little story here. Now, I'm told, and, and, I'm, and I'm a little bit skeptical at this, to be honest with you, that LED, LED bulbs can, can last up to 20 years. Now, I hope that's true, because I put a few of them in my house, and uh, but, but up till now, you know, regular light bulbs, what, a few months, six months maybe, depending on how much you used them, and then the filament would break, or something else would happen to them. They'd burn out. <clears throat> the centennial light bulb, the centennial light bulb burning in Livermore, California, has been burning at the Livermore Fire Department for over 120 years. I was actually skeptical when I heard this. It was first installed at the Fire Department hose cart house on L Street in 1901. Shortly after, it moved to the main firehouse on 2nd, and in 1903, it was moved to the new station and survived the renovation of the firehouse in 1937 when it was off for about a week. 
During its first 75 years, it was connected directly to the 110-volt city power. In 1976, it was moved with a full police and fire truck escort <laughs> to the present, present site at fire station number 6 at 4550 East Avenue, Livermore, California. It was then hooked to a separate power source and uh, there was only one interruption in May of two, 2013 when the power failed, and that lasted for nine and a half hours, but it is still going to this day. Now, think about it. Go back, and, and Thomas Edison invented the first rudimentary bulb just before the turn of the century, and um, it's said that that, that bulb could potentially last 1,500 hours. But then a fella named Adolf Chalet for the Shelby Electric Company invented an improved filament that would allow it to burn seemingly perpetually. And that's the sample that's at that fire station, and it's over 120 years old. Now you say, well, then why have I been changing light bulbs all of my life if one of the early renditions of the light bulb could last that long? Have you ever heard of the expression planned obsolescence? <laughs> and see if this sounds familiar, because this is a dictionary definition of planned obsolescence. A policy of producing consumer goods that rapidly become obsolete and so require replacing, achieved by frequent changes in design, termination of the supply of spare parts, and the use of non-durable materials. Does that sound like your computer or your cell phone? <laughs> Planned obsolescence. It was the Phoebus cartel that existed to control the manufacture and sale of incandescent light bulbs by appropriately market territories or marking, uh, appropriating market territories and fixing the useful life of such bulbs. The cartel included manufacturers Osram, General Electric, Associated Electrical Industries, and Philips, among others. By 1924, the main bulb manufacturers in America and Europe secretly formed a cartel to limit the average life of lamps to 1,000 hours, thus ensuring remarketability of the product. And uh, by the way, that's supposedly no longer legal here in the United States. Ha ha. <laughs> but uh, uh, it's said that Edison's original commercial light bulb in 1881 lasted up to 1,500 hours. Others right away started marketing bulbs that would last nearly double that. But by the turn of the new century, all of this other went into place, and there was planned obsolescence. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. Take your Bibles and go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, as we talk about the deity of Jesus Christ and then our resurrection and our future in heaven. And I'm going to say to you this morning, there is no planned obsolescence with God. And I want you to see what James says about God and his light. 
The Bible says in verse 17 of James chapter 1, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of what? Lights. With whom is no changing the bulb. <laughs> With whom is no variableness. Neither shadow of turning. Now, I'm thinking about this story, and I'm still, they say you can go online and look at this thing. They say it's a tourist attraction. People come to this, this, this fire department, and they just sit there and stare at this bulb, this crude bulb up in the ceiling, and, and for good reason. If that is 1900 technology, 1900, if there hadn't have been a conspiracy, hey, I just discovered some. I'm a conspiracy guy. <laughs> if they hadn't conspired for those things to burn out so they could keep selling them to us, with progress in the technology, how long could they make a bulb last? If one of the earliest renditions is still going 120 years later, do you think for a minute God's light's going to burn out? This is, the, this is the one who died for your sins, folks. This is the one we're going to spend eternity with. Uh, I don't know, when I was much younger, I must be getting wimpy as I get older. I really liked winter a lot more. But I, I, the part about winter that I don't like, I, I, the cold, I can get along with that and some of the other things. But it's the shorter days. I miss the bright days, the summer days going all the way to almost, you know, 10 o'clock and even a little beyond that. And you know what? James says, there's no variableness in God and there is no shadow of turning. He's one bulb that's never going to burn out, folks. Never going to burn out. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we'll just touch on this for a few minutes this morning. And then we'll pick it up again next week. But I want to talk about the, the mystery of the rapture of the church. This is, this is the fifth of seven mysteries in the New Testament that we're looking at. And this is the mystery of the rapture of the church. And we're starting in verse 50. The Bible says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now, folks, I believe that word changed means these bodies will be changed. Now, a lot of times we say we're going to get a new body. I don't believe that means we're going to leave this body in the grave and get a new one separate. No, I think this body is going to be made into a resurrection body. And thus we get a new body in that way. Now you say, well, yeah, but they, they rot in the grave. But the one who spoke the universe into existence in six working days can handle that. You say, well, I know this guy who was cremated and they, they got in an airplane and scattered his dust all over to the wind. The God that created the universe in six working days can handle putting all that back together. 
He can find the pieces. He can find the pieces. In a moment, verse 52, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. There's that word again. And notice it talks about the corruption of this body now, verse 50, and notice in verse 52, the incorruption of the new body. We had prayer requests last night. I can't tell you how many prayer requests revolved around people with health issues. If we took the time this morning and had everybody stand up that had a health issue themselves or somebody in their immediate family who they're living with in their home that has a serious health issue, I know that more than half of you would stand up. You know what I'm looking forward to? When that'll all be gone. Completely gone. Was talking to a brother this morning, and, and him and his wife are, are, are talking to different hospitals outside of the state, research hospitals. And, and I, I've, I've said this in men's prayer meeting. I've encouraged the guys, I'll say it to you. If you can't get the answer you need here locally, look around. Amen? What's your health worth? But we're limited, aren't we? We're limited. Our knowledge is limited. The doctor's knowledge is limited. Their, their understanding is limited. And these bodies that we live in, no matter how well we take care of them, I always get a little bit of a kick out, out of these, these groups and these programs, you know, back to Eden. You eat right and you exercise right and you sleep right and you do everything right and you'll never die. <laughs> Good luck on that one. No, these are corruptible bodies. Now, I don't, you know, take care of it the best you can. I get it, but, but they are corruptible bodies. And, and, you know, our society has made it worse and worse. They, they, they got this, this perfect model of what every man should look like and a perfect image of what every woman should look like, right? And so everybody's either trying to gain weight or lose, lose weight and the only one that's not is that man, those two mannequins. <laughs> They're the only ones happy with the way they look. You know what you are? You're what I am. You are what you are. Okay? My wife and I, we were getting, I, I, I don't ever, if she can get me to a store to buy clothes, I mean, everything shuts down, she's going for it. Because I don't do that too often. And she, was, she said, you know, you need to go over here and we'll buy these Carhartt shirts and they got long sleeves and all this other stuff. And I'm like, eh, I don't want to do that. And she got me over there and I always got to buy XL. Why do I have to buy XL? It's not because I'm the biggest guy in the world. I just got, I just got, I got gorilla arms. They're long. And I like things to fit loose. Am I, am I the right body type or the wrong body type? Are you the right body type or the wrong body type? Um, who cares? Who cares? Amen? You know what? I don't care. Somebody was making fun of me being bald the other day. <laughs> he wasn't even married. I said, I'm married. <laughs> you with your hairy head, you got no guarantees. <laughs> We've been married almost 50 years. She's kind of short. She probably doesn't even know. 
Well, now she does. I just told her. <laughs> this mortal is going to put on immortality, folks. So in this corruptible, verse 54, she'll have put on incorruption. And this mortal shall have put on immortality. You say, what does all that mean? That just means we'll never have another conscious thought about death. Won't even be in the vocabulary. It's not even a possibility. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. All of this is ours this morning. If you're saved here this morning, all of this is yours. All of this is mine. All of this is ours because of that Savior we just talked about for a little while, who is God manifest in the flesh. Now look at verse 58, and we'll close with this. I was talking to a brother just the other day, and, and, and he's doing a great job in the ministry that he has here at the church, but he admitted something to me that uh, I admitted right back. He said, I, I, I get discouraged sometimes. I think I'm maybe not doing a very good job. I said, <laughs> welcome to my world. You ever get discouraged? You ever get discouraged as a parent? You ever get discouraged as a, as a Sunday school teacher? Or you ever get discouraged as a um, junior church worker? You ever get discouraged as a youth worker? You ever get discouraged as a bus, bus worker? You ever get uh, discouraged just as, as a soul winner and a witness for Jesus Christ? And, and, and we preachers are no different. We, we, we can get discouraged too and, and all of that. And my biggest anti-discouragement verse is the very next verse we're going to look at. I don't care who you are as a believer. You take verse 58. You memorize that. And he says, therefore, my beloved brethren, therefore, therefore, in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, therefore, in light of our own resurrection, which is in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not what? In vain in the Lord. You say, how can I know if my labor in the Lord is in vain or not in vain? As a pastor, would he look at the size of his church? Would he look at how many years he has been there? Or what would he look at as an evangelist? Would he look at how many souls get saved? Uh, as a Sunday school teacher, would, would that teacher look at what in their class? What would determine whether you have labored in vain or not. You know what determines that? Did Jesus raise from the dead? Are we going to raise from the dead because he raised from the dead? And Paul says, then your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We can't go wrong. Haven't we said it before? Haven't we seen it in the word of God? God doesn't measure results in ministry the way the world measures it. And especially here in our country, it's all about productivity. It's always onward, upward, and the trajectory always has to be going up. Is that what God says? He says, well done, thou good and successful servant. 
No. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And if you're discouraged here this morning, look at that verse. And that verse will inspire you to be faithful. Because God says there's only two things that have to be in place for your labor not to be in vain in the Lord. Christ really did resurrect. And we will resurrect because he resurrected. And that's the whole criteria right there. So he says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And, and I, I thank you for verse 58 myself before this congregation. How many times, how many times I've gone to that and received encouragement because, Father, the way we measure, the way God's people, I'm afraid, measure sometimes, certainly the way the world measures, is not the way you measure. It's not the way you measure. And you said that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Help us this morning, Lord. Help us this morning to take inventory, not of circumstances. Not of circumstances, Father, but of you. Of you and what you have said about yourself and our relationship to you and the guarantee, the guarantee of your blessings as a result, Lord. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Father, may it be said of all of us here this morning by your grace. But Lord, we ask this morning that you'd speak to the heart of that one or many, Lord, without Christ. Maybe it's somebody here in the building. Maybe it's somebody looking in live stream. But They've never trusted Christ as their personal savior. They're trying to work their way there. They're trying to join a, an organization, religious or otherwise. Help them to see the futility of that. Help them to see, Lord, that the God-man died on the cross for their sins, was buried and resurrected from the dead and offers them a full pardon, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. Father, may they come this morning and receive the most wonderful gift that they could ever receive, the gift of eternal life. Father, as believers, help us to go forth from this place with the most positive message that there is, that God is willing to be reconciled to sinners. He's anxious to be reconciled to sinners. And our labor in this endeavor is never in vain. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Infuse us with that encouragement this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 57. Number 57, Be Thou Exalted. Be Thou Exalted forever and ever. God of
pray. Dear Father, Lord God, we sure do love you, and we just want to thank you for that, and I want to pray that you just, uh, our labor is not in vain, and I just want to thank you again for this church, thank you for our pastor bringing that to us. Pray that you bring us back tonight, and just uh, bless this congregation, Lord, and Jesus' name I pray, amen.